I'll try not to breathe. <laughs> I don't want to be annoying. <laughs> well, you breathe that way. You're listening to the Red Dragon Session. So, everybody, just so you know, I have one of my best friends on the planet, Bob, here with me. Bob, say a few words. That's a fake name. <laughs> <laughs> it's only to protect the guilty. <laughs> yeah. We use fake names on this podcast to protect the guilty. If you're innocent, what the hell do you need protection from? Precisely. We just want to protect the guilty. Totes. Exactly. So just for complete and total transparency, we're going to talk about a drummer named Matt in today's story. Matt is not his real name. This is our first story. The first story we're recording. We don't know where in the order it's going to go. I'm just going to keep talking. Mm -hmm. So today's story is about uh, a drummer named Matt who played drums with my grandfather. Yeah. What? What kind of music? Well, so my grandfather had this gospel bluesy band, and primarily they would play in small churches around southeast Missouri and southern Illinois. Sometimes, occasionally, you might meander down into the northern part of Arkansas or something, you know, just jump across the state line and mm-hmm. play a show, play mm-hmm. a church, and then jump back across, mm-hmm. you know. And so... Whenever we would do these things, you know, if, if it was just a regular church gig, it might be grandpa and his guitar. It might be uh, one or two other guitar players or there was a stand-up bass player he'd call on. There was an electric bass player he would call on. It was just a matter of what it was going to be, what the church was expecting. And most of the time, this was, this was church gigs. This gig happened to be a revival. <laughs> God, I loved a revival gig because it was more like a proper gig. <laughs> it wasn't just showing up at this church and setting up next to the pulpit and 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 just you know playing with the choir this would be like a revival gig was like in a big tent outside it was like a proper gig i was recruited into helping set up the pa or i was you know recruited into like you know loading and unloading gear a lot more we had proper drum kit you had like a proper gig and that's why i loved them so much but we only did maybe one or two of them a year so uh, we had this revival gig, and it was this little—it's a little tiny, tiny church. And it was a homecoming revival, so that's uh, for for people who don't know. A uh, sort of a homecoming for a church is where everybody who's ever been to that church just comes back to it for for a day or for a weekend for like a big party. A revival is where you're just like you're reviving the congregation. You're you know you're reaffirming your your love of the denomination that you're there for the revival. It's primarily a Baptist thing, or so I remember it. Mind you, religions vary across the country, and and your church may be different, or your church may have been different growing up, but this was what they called a homecoming revival, and it was a big tent outside everything type of thing, and they didn't want a lot of people going in and out of the church building during the whole thing. This was an evening, everybody come together, party kind of thing. And they didn't want people going in and out of the church building a lot. So 
the church itself stayed locked up and they had porta potties outside instead. And this was for, you know, a couple of reasons. Like, you know, you don't necessarily want a bunch of people that are now sort of strangers or people you don't know going in and out of the church unattended. It's not like there was somebody, you know, a security guard at the door or something like that. And, you know, obviously you need bathrooms. This is going to be like a three or four hour occasion. So you want, you know, you want some facilities. And this was way out in the woods, way out away. So you had to turn off the paved road to get to this place and still go a few miles after that to get there. And so you had uh, you had this little church and you had a road on one side and you had a fenced off field on two other sides. And the fourth side was a, a cemetery that had its own fence. I'm just trying to set the scene for you all because as complicated as it sounds, it's going to get a little more complex. So my grandfather never really pried into the lives of people that he played with. He always felt like they were responsible adults and you did your own thing. And if you were going to play, he trusted that you were going to show up and play. Now, this drummer, Matt, bless his heart, he had issues. He had issues with, with alcohol. And because this was an evening kind of thing, it wasn't like we were hitting him on a Sunday morning to do this gig. We were hitting him on a Saturday night. And Matt had already done a little bit of drinking. Okay, a lot, a lot of drinking on Friday night and throughout probably most of Saturday. And Matt was not in the best of health, let's say. He was feeling quite ill when he arrived. And the rest of the band and I knew that my grandfather would never call on him again if my grandfather knew. In fact, we might not have drums that night if my grandfather found out that Matt was was really hungover, like to, hungover to the point of being sick, hungover. Now, I was about 14, gonna be 15 when this all went down. And this is actually my first experience with dealing with someone who has really intoxicated trying to play or, you know, having any sort of like illness or affliction or problem with their performance situation on stage. Definitely not going to be the last, but this is the first one. And I, you know, I was a pretty tough kid. I mean, I'd seen people drunk before, but not really at sort of a level of ridiculous, which is where Matt was. So we start feeding Matt some coffee. The church portion has started. The preacher's gotten up. He's ruminating and we are sort of out in the back behind the tent, sort of like, okay, here's some, you know, we found some coffee, here's some water, you know, you feeling okay? And he's just, he's feeling very nauseous. He's just feeling nauseous, but he is determined that he's going to go on. My grandfather, being very religious, was actually in the tent waiting to go on stage and figured we were having some sort of problem. We were having a problem tuning. We were having a problem something. Something was wrong. But he did not, He his alarms were not raised because this kind of thing happens. This is more of a proper gig setting. We do it very rarely. Shit happens. So my grandfather didn't have like alarm bells at this point <laughs> in the show. So he's sitting there and he's enjoying the sermon portion and everything, getting ready for us to be called up. 
and uh, sort of out of nowhere, there's a musical moment and we're all called up. So we file Matt behind the drums and he seems okay. He seems like we've got some water, we've got some coffee. He seems, he seems uh, okay. Okay is about as far as we could take it. He is not all right <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. But we're going to give this a go. We're going to see if he can actually play the drums, at least for a couple songs. So they get up there. They play some, you know, some traditional gospel straight out of the uh, hymnal book. And uh, he gets through it. Okay. There's not a lot to do. It's not like, you know, he's got to go into a big drum solo in the middle of a rock concert or anything. You know, he doesn't have to be Peter Chris or Joey Kramer. He's just got to, like, keep the beat going. And he manages to do that. And so then there's a break uh, in the music. And we go back to, you know, some preaching and some storytelling by the good reverend. And Matt comes out from behind. And at this point, um, a few other people that were playing with us that night were hanging out inside with my grandfather in the pew, uh, enjoying the revelry that was going on in there. And uh, Matt and I were out back behind the tent by the church building. Matt has now decided that we're in a full-on I'm going to vomit situation. We are not we are not trying to suppress this anymore. We are not trying to like hold it in like things are going to happen. And Matt is looking for a place that 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 this can occur that is far enough away from the tent that there's not going to be a smell that nobody's going to hear us or hear him and that, uh, that, you know, because we don't want to get found out by my grandfather. Right. We, we don't, we, well, we don't want anybody in that tent to know what is happening at all. So his gut reaction is to go in the direction. There's not really that much of a fence. And it turns out that's the cemetery. So he tries to make for this area and, and he's like, oh crap, gravestones. Like I can't, I can't throw up in a cemetery. I can't do that. So he looks to go in another direction and there's a fence, like a proper, proper fence to keep people and cattle from mingling with each other. That's not really an option either because we're still pretty much within good earshot of the tent and smell, you know, nobody's going to see this occur. But there is a sound and smell factor that's going to really be, you know, yeah. So then he, like, makes for the building. Now, I don't think we really, like, acknowledge that the building was locked, really. But it was. And um, and so this this building is locked. And, and we're, you know, we're trying to do a quiet, like, slam against the door. Like, we're, like, playing with the knob and jiggling and all this stuff. And the, this entire time that he and I are trying to figure out how to get in the building to a proper bathroom, the urge to the urge to vomit is becoming more and more apparent. So I'm a 14-year-old girl out there trying to figure out how to handle this situation. I'm getting direction from him, but it's it's like, oh, yeah. How, how old is he? Just, uh, just for reference. He's mid-30s. Yeah. Okay, so for you, that's that's an, an, a, he's a like real twice my adult. Age. Yeah. This is a real grown up. Right. This is like, a you know, just under parent age kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like. We're trying to jimmy the door a little bit. We're trying to find an open window, a cracked window, anything. You know, if we try to like break a window or break the door, we're going to make a lot of noise. Everybody's going to come a running. They're not just going to come to find out. They're going to come a running kind of situation. 
So nothing is working. And so we, you know, the porta potties are really the only real option we've got going on here. And um, Matt was just, bless his ever loving heart. He was like, I can't throw up in a porta potty. It's like, it's just, there's a level of too gross. Like, and I have to admit, when you think about it, there's a big difference between going to bathroom in a porta potty and like hanging your head. Yeah, we don't need to describe any more than that. I think I think our listeners get it. And if you don't, well, you need to get out more because if you haven't used a porta potty, you just don't have enough life to listen to this podcast. I don't think. So we are now down to must use a porta potty to vomit in. So when you're a 14 year old girl. And it's the first time you've got to handle a situation where someone that you know is really shit-faced and really sick. What do you do? So he's hungover and drunk. Well, I think it was more hungover. Okay. He's definitely, there's going to be sick involved. So, I mean, it was a Saturday night of the show. I know he had been drinking Friday night. And he probably had some to drink on Saturday, probably thinking Hera the dog will make me better for the show, will make me better for this gig. So I was I was thinking to myself how, you know, I can't run and get my grandfather because Mad's never gonna work with us again. And I, I don't wanna get I don't wanna get in trouble. At this point, I didn't want to get in trouble at all anymore because now I've been keeping the secret for, you know, maybe an hour or so now and like I don't want to, you know, get my butt kicked off the road for lying to my grandfather. So into the porta potty we go. I just tried to think to myself, what do I do? How do I help? And all I could think about was like when I had the flu and what my mom did when I would be sick and I had the flu. And so Matt had this really long, beautiful brown hair. And so And I also have really long hair. And so when I was sick, my mom would like put her hand on my forehead when I was being sick and she would like hold my hair back and she would like stroke my hair to keep it back out of the way. And so here I am, 14 years old, crowded into a porta potty with a 30-year-old, 30-ish-year-old drummer on his knees in the porta potty, not feeling well. For lack of a for lack of a PC term to use for this situation, not feeling well. And I've got my hand on his forehead and I'm holding his hair and I'm just telling him, it's all gonna be all right. Don't worry, Matt, it's okay. And I'm just stroking his hair while the hurling is happening. <laughs> and um, you know, and it's you know, it's one of those things and you're, you're, you're sort of in the moment and you're not thinking about like the absurdity of that. Like here is this 14 year old girl who's holding some drummer's hair, who's like twice her age and probably shouldn't be drinking at all. And, um, you know, there's this church revival going on. So one of the guitar players comes to, comes to find us because it's time for music to start again because it's it's a loose form revival. So, you know, oh, music, let's have some more music. So we're stumbling back towards the tent so we can like go through this little hidey hole. 
to the drums and we're like trying to wipe his mouth off and give him some water so he doesn't like necessarily you know keep going and here's how good a drummer matt was we put him through that door and got him set on that stool and that son of a bitch played as if nothing was wrong didn't miss a beat didn't miss anything he played like nothing had happened the moment music stops it's time you know they did a couple of songs the moment it all ended he just fell over backward off the stool onto the ground he just passed out he just passed out just thunk onto the ground and i'm standing back there as with the most innocent look on faces i can like what happened like i am just standing there with like as as looking trying to look as innocent as i could and of course we we sort of you know other members of the group and i we sort of like shuffle him out the back but i'm trying to look as like shocked and awed as i possibly can like oh my god what has happened here i don't know anything about this i have no concept of anything ah. now my grandfather didn't buy that for shit like he didn't buy that he knew that i knew everything that went on whether i was involved or not I, I always knew everything that went on back there because I'm a control freak. And from the moment that my grandfather said, you are responsible for my guitar or you are responsible for this or you're responsible for back line, he knew that I knew everything about everything that went on back there, no matter what, no matter how big it was, how small it was. It could be just my grandfather and his guitar and nothing else going on in that whole church for like months but I knew every single thing. So my grandfather knew I knew what was going on and what was happening, even though I didn't. But this is one of the great things about my grandfather and why I learned so much. And one of the things I learned was that when things like this would go sideways, if I had legitimately screwed up, he would call me out. Like, you messed this up. Or this was wrong. This is how you should have done that. In this moment of panic and weirdness, my grandfather did not call anybody out for being an idiot or being stupid or being inept. He instead chose to work the problem. Matt is sick. Matt needs help. Therefore, we're not going to do drums anymore. Get him in his car. Let him sleep. Leave him alone. And then we go back into working the gig. Now, I got a very strict talking to the next weekend, way after the fact, after processing. But in the moment, it was work the problem. And what, how did, how were you supposed to, I mean, I think you did as responsible a thing as anybody could have done given the circumstance. So I'd be curious to know what, how you felt you could have handled it differently. Well, I'll tell you, Bob. Thanks, Yvette. <laughs> I think when you're looking at a situation where I was a child, basically, and I was trying to make it all right by myself, that was a situation where I should have reached out for help. Mm -hmm. 
I shouldn't have tried to handle that. I was way out of my depths. I was way out of my element, way out of my depths. A lot of things could have gone wrong. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of factors. There's a lot of luck that evening. You know, Matt could have actually had alcohol poisoning. Mm -hmm. Matt drove himself to that gig <laughs> feeling that ill. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of reasons why I should have raised my hand and said, I need help here. Mm -hmm. And I didn't because I didn't want anybody to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. And even though I knew who my grandfather was, mm -hmm. even though I knew him, I, if I had stopped to think about it, I know even then I knew he was a man who would work the problem mm -hmm. and not worry about punishment, not worry about yelling, not worrying about his own anger or fear of what was going on. But I still sort of, I still, I still had that childish reaction, that childlike reaction of, oh my God, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want anybody else to get in trouble. We got to make this happen. I was so focused on this, this concept of nobody gets in trouble and we have a great gig and everything works the way it's supposed to, that I didn't realize I was so far underwater and so far out of my element that I should have asked for help. But don't you think you were working the problem yourself? I mean, that's that's how you, in your 14-year-old wisdom, worked the problem. No, and in these stories, aren't I supposed to be the guru and you're just sort of like the sidekick, Bob? Possibly, but... Possibly, but you feel like that's like really a startling revelation to me. Mm -hmm. I haven't thought... I Seriously, I'm way older than Matt was. And I've not really thought about that before. I mean, you admire your grandfather and how how he processed things. Uh-huh. And it sounds to me like he had instilled a lot of responsibility. You know, he had a lot of trust in you. And you were just doing the best job that you could in the moment with the limited life experience you may have had with this kind of circumstance. And it just seems like, you know, you're just trying to work the problem like he might have, except he has a broader understanding so, of, you know, what could have been going on. I mean, how are you supposed to know? <laughs> like, you probably had never even had anything to drink. Like, what do you, how, how would you know even what's happening? Yeah, I, his, his palate was a lot broader than mine was. And uh, obviously he, he, there's a couple different problems going on and he knew which problem should have been the priority. I was working a problem. You're absolutely right. I was working a problem, but it was not the highest priority on the list of problems of that night. So yeah, that's, I honestly, I have not really thought about that, that, that I was actually working the problem or the problem that I saw. And um, wow, it was kind of groundbreaking. It was kind of revelating there to me. Yay. It's our own little revival in the booth. It's happening. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what to do with that right now. I may need to process. That's cool. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, it's traumatizing. Uh, you know, I mean, it's a mm -hmm. tra obviously a traumatic experience. It, it's an incredibly intimate experience to have with somebody you don't know. And, mm -hmm. and you're just, you know, kind of an innocent bystander trying to help, really. Yeah. Um, and... It's part of humanity, you know, it's just part of being 
you know, the human experience is part of just being a human, Mm -hmm. you know, that probably has, sounds like, you know, a big human experience to, that you, you, you had. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right in that there's, yeah, I got to (laughs) process. I really honestly have not thought about that perspective at all. Um, my, you know, I thought that my, uh, my lesson there was that I had learned or that, you know, my grandfather was teaching me about, you know, working the problem. He already had taught me how to work the problem. What he really taught me that day was how to prioritize the problems and, and to like identify, identify what should be priority one instead of just working the very first problem you see. Wow. Logistics is a tricky, tricky thing. It is. Yeah. Logistics can be trickier than anything. Yeah. You can move a mountain if you can figure it out, the logistics of it. Yep. Leverage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Physics, whatnot. Physics, yeah. <laughs> I think there's value in the moral of the story, though I screwed up the punchline. No, you didn't is, screw up the... You made a better punchline, actually. Well, it's the reality. I mean... Yeah. You, you know, made you made a better punchline because you, you're providing this perspective. It's just an observation. Yeah. You know, from this story, I remember that, that I actually felt, you know, in the moment, I didn't feel underwater. Mm-hmm. In the moment, I didn't... I, in the moment, I felt like, oh, I got this. I got this. I got this. I got this. And for a lot of people, that can be that can actually be a hindrance to what you're doing. If you can't see that you need help, if you think you've got it. In that moment, I felt like I got it. I got it. I got it. I got this. I can handle this. I can do this. But I was actually pretty far underwater. I was way out of my element and I didn't need to be. And it wasn't about ratting out my friend or ratting out the band or anything like that. It's just about recognizing when you're underwater. And even though I was working a problem and my grandfather worked a problem, I didn't acknowledge or recognize that I didn't know everything. And while in my life that has been a great advantage to me in just plowing through things and just hammering through a brick wall, I have done that numerous times in my life and in my career, and it has sometimes been great and fabulous and sometimes been life challenging is the term that comes to mind it helps it helps when you're when you are feeling underwater or when you are looking around and you're going ooh i should be feeling underwater to take a minute and get some input from somewhere evaluate your position, evaluate where you are, make sure that you really are standing on the firmest ground you can be standing on to deal with it. Are you really dealing with the real problem, with the biggest problem, the thing that should be the first priority? Or are you getting caught up in something that's ancillary and something that's not as important? That's really sort of the lesson from this story, I guess, because, well, Bob here, has taught me a lesson about this story that I didn't even know is there. And it's about prioritization. And while it seems like a frivolous thing and not really a life thing, every single day we're prioritizing. You have to make sure that you're working 
the problem that's the highest priority. That's a nice end to the sermon. Mm -hmm. The biggest difference is having Having the the peanut gallery. (laughs) You've been listening to the Red Dragon Sessions. 